Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entrepreneurial League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Perel, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneurista, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneurs League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week. That's entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey. We ended up winning the first prize on the Women Founders Network, which was $20,000. But it also exposed me to a lot of angel investors who at the end of the night came up and said, hey, whenever you're ready to raise money, I'd love to chat with you about investing. And so then I just realized, whoa, these types of competitions are a great way to just socialize and get exposure for my business. So I just started seeing are there others out there? And I learned about the Tory Birch Foundation grant, you know, which was kind of the next big one I entered for 100K. And we ended up winning that one first place. And, and then, you know, people on that, on that panel who were judging it actually ended up investing in T-Drops. And so honestly, it was a great way for someone who doesn't have a network in, uh, with VEs or knows investors. It's a great way just to organically meet investors, get exposure for your business, and eventually use it as a platform to raise money. Tea was always a family affair for Sashi Chandran. And growing up, she loved the social ritual of sharing a cup of tea with friends and family. It was only when she was working her first corporate job at eBay that she realized how challenging it was to prepare loose leaf tea at her desk between meetings and that is when the light bulb went off. Fast forward five years, Sashi is the founder of Tea Drops, an innovative company that offers fair trade, organic, and loose tea that works exactly like a bath bomb. All you have to do is drop it in hot water and enjoy. You're about to hear how Sashi built her business from the ground up. Coming up, you'll hear the impact growing up with tea-loving parents made on Sashi how Sashi had an aha moment while working at eBay, and when she realized she wanted to take the leap and start tea drops Deciding to start a business instead of getting an MBA, facing hard truths in the beginning regarding how much packaging and manufacturing went up to, and having to adapt her budget. Facing hard truths in the beginning regarding how much packaging and manufacturing would add up to, and having to adapt her budget figuring out how to write a patent in order to protect her unique idea. How dedicating time to networking and entering pitch competitions led her to build a community and meet angel investors. 
the moment when she realized she needed to raise capital and how she went about it, how the brand has connected with their community over the past few years, turning the ritual of drinking tea into a community-centric activity, how COVID-19 impacted her company and team, and key learnings that came from it, Sashi's best remote working tips, and ways in which she stays connected with her team despite being far away a recent lifestyle change, and finally, Sashi's best business tip. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Sashi, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited. Yes, I am excited too. I've been browsing your website and I am just in awe of this product. And I have to know, how did you come up with this idea? Yeah, so I mean, it's a little bit of a lengthy story because I think my my relationship with and love for tea starts at a pretty early age. So you know, both my parents are immigrants, and my mom is from China, which has a you know rich history in tea culture, and my dad's from Sri Lanka, which was one of the largest producers of tea in the world. In fact, my dad was born on a tea estate. So just by default of having these two parents, I grew up in a pretty tea-enriched culture as a kid. And I loved the ritual of tea, you know, especially loose leaf tea. It's, it's a very, especially in Asian cultures, it's a very intimate experience and social experience. And I carried that with me, you know, throughout, throughout my younger years in high school. When I started my first real corporate job, I remember trying to make whole leaf tea while running, you know, meeting to meeting and living a really busy work life and found that it was very frustrating to, you know, have an arsenal of equipment at my work desk and try to make tea in a very short period of time, whole leaf tea. I don't know if you're a tea drinker, but it takes, you know, five to seven minutes to truly brew a cup of tea. By the time you make it, you have to run to your next meeting. And tea bags were never as satisfying as whole leaf tea because tea bags are usually made with what's called tea dust. So it's a lost part of tea harvesting and production. So I, as just a personal, you know, frustration and of interest, I was just looking for a convenient way to make loose leaf tea, and I couldn't find it on the market. So that's really what inspired this whole journey. I know you were at eBay at the time. Yeah. Is that that's correct. That's correct. Yes. So how long did it take you for you to quit your job and develop this company? Assuming this started as a side hustle. Definitely a side hustle. I mean, I was, you know, making this in my apartment kitchen at the time and introducing it by way of, you know, artisan shows, like holiday shows, like right around this time, right now it's, you know, the holiday season, I would be at at small boutiques and just selling the product and just seeing what the response was, but definitely a side hustle. And I think it took me a little bit of time. It wasn't, you know, a silver bullet where I was like, I need to quit my job and, and do this full time. I think it was just a number of, you know, points of validation. And also I was lucky in that early on, I told my manager at eBay that I wanted to eventually give this a shot and try this out, try out the entrepreneurship, try out doing tea drops full time. And at eBay, every few years you're granted a sabbatical. So, you know, it's a month off to kind of do what you want and you can tag on your, your PTO, your vacation. So I was just almost approaching the five-year mark. And so I took some time 
to just full time dive into what working on this this business would would be like, you know, day in and day out. And once I got a taste of that, it was really hard to to go back to more of a corporate lifestyle. And I had a really rewarding career. I loved, I actually really loved that I had the experience of working at a large corporation and, you know, wearing many hats in that organization. But there was something that I was immediately drawn to with entrepreneurship, which is the uncertainty. It's the immediacy of creating something and getting, you know, immediate feedback. So, so it wasn't, you know, one, one immediate light bulb, but I think after a while and trying this out, you know, having a taste of doing it full time, it was really that I didn't want to have, I felt like I had one foot in one boat, which is going towards, you know, this career in corporate and one boat, one foot in the tea drops boat. And both were going different directions. Both were very demanding. And at some point I had to make a decision on where I wanted to invest my time. So that was really, you know, the, the moment in which I, I decided to pursue this full time. And at, the, at that time, I was deciding between doing an MBA and paying for that, you know, which is a pretty substantial amount or investing that into the business. And I decided, you know, I'd probably learn a lot more in starting a business and it's kind of a mini MBA in itself. So I went that route. I can definitely relate to you. I started Social Fly with Stephanie and we both started on the side of our full-time jobs. And then for us, we did both for 10 months and came to the same decision, which is we have to decide which path we're going to go on. And obviously we ended up pursuing Social Fly. But for me, I remember I was very, very scared and I did a lot of number crunching to make sure that I would have a certain amount of money to to live. And I also gave myself a timeline for things to work. What was your thought process and what were some of the criteria that you had to weigh to make your decision? I think it was hard because I didn't know, you know, what the what the limit was for tea drops. I just knew. I feel this product needs to exist in the world. I'm very passionate about it. I don't have any experience in the food industry in starting a business and managing a team, but I feel I can I have the ability to figure it out. So I think for me it was first getting my finances in order as you mentioned. So, you know, I had savings. I also had just recently purchased a home, so I took a home equity line of credit on the house to use kind of as buffer and and part of that was to use a startup money. And so I got that before, you know, I I technically left my job and just planned ahead. You know, at at first you also don't really know how much you should be investing in building, especially a tangible product. You know, how much does doing your first run of manufacturing cost? How much does packaging cost? So I really didn't have a good, I didn't have good insight into how long it would take or whatnot. And there was no real milestone. I just knew I was young enough at the time. I think I was 27 or 28 where I was like, if this doesn't work, I will figure it out. I will bounce back. You know, it is a risk, but it's not going to be the end of the world if this, if this fails. So I think that was more the mentality, not necessarily giving myself a timeline on when it had to happen. I can totally relate. How much money yeah. did you think you needed at the time to get this launched? Oh my God. I think I was just so naive. I was like, all right, first run of packaging is going to be, I think at that time I had, I, I had to buy a minimum of 500 boxes, you know, and, and I had designed these wood boxes for tea drops because I wanted it to be different than 
most tea box packaging or cylinder packaging on shelf. And I designed these wood boxes. I was having, you know, scoping out the pricing and I had to buy a minimum of 500. And at that time I thought that was so much. I was like, 500 boxes, how am I going to sell all this? And it was taking space in my living room. And I remember I was like, oh my God, just seeing these mountains of boxes and, and, and feeling like, oh man, I really need to sell this. So I think between packaging and manufacturing, I was like, all right, you know, I'll invest 20 to 25K and that will be it. And you just realize, you know, as you start going, you start selling products, you're like, you need a lot more money for startup costs. And, and if you want to go to trade shows and exhibit at trade shows and all of the other things that you're just, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I think that was the scary part. So I had about, you know, between my savings and taking my home equity line of credit, I knew that my runway was around 100 to 125K. So that's kind of what I gave myself to, to start. I don't think I was cognizant of it that like, oh, you're going to spend the full 125K. But I was just like, okay, I think I need 25K to start. And then as you obviously get more entrenched in, you're like, oh, it's actually a lot more expensive than you think. And everything, you know, the timeline of what you think when things will be done is always twice as long. So I think that it was a real wake up call of like, no, this is actually a lot more expensive than you think. And if, you know, I think I got to a breaking point where I realized that, you know, for me personally, raising capital was a viable option to for for certain you know milestones that I wanted to reach so it took a while yeah took a while to come to that conclusion though (laughs) I definitely want to learn more about the process to to raise money but I also want to learn more first about your product development process your product is so unique and I know you have a patent how did you get this product developed and how do you keep everything together in these cute little shapes? I have to know that as well. Yeah. So, you know, the whole patent, we're patent pending. So there's so much like work with the USBTO that has to be done to go back and forth. But basically the story was I was doing, you know, I was experimenting in my apartment kitchen. I would buy a ton of spices, a ton of tea. And I really didn't have this idea for tea drops until I started just blending tea and spices very finely, almost like ground powders and just, you know, playing with the proportions. And one day, I think I was sitting somewhere and I just had this idea of like, of a bath bomb, you know, that a bath bomb, you just drop in hot water or drop in your tub and it dissolves. And I said, well, why can't tea do the same thing? You know, or why can't, why can't there just be like a bath bomb, but tea? So I just kind of started experimenting how that could be done through, you know, finally grinding the tea, some, uh, some pressure compression, of like just packing tea leaves together and what that would look like. And I did this for a year and a half, just on my weekends, on my weeknights after work. And I remember I had a friend come over and she was very, you know, scientific method about it. Like we would do these experiments and track them. And I had a notebook of like what worked, what didn't. And eventually I came up with a process. I came up obviously with the product and I, there was a local business organization. It's a free resource called SCORE that helps, you know, with different resources, helps businesses kind of take the leap. So there, there was a retired attorney and he kind of looked at my product. We were talking about something else and he's like, you know, I think you have something that's, that's really protectable here in terms of your shape and how you're making this. And I never thought about, you know, patent for it, but he, you know, obviously didn't have the money just to spend 10 to 15 K to initiate that conversation with an attorney. But he was really kind. He said, you know, if you write your, your, your provisional patent, I'll review it and then you can submit it. 
And so that's what I did. I spent a couple of weekends just looking at all of the different patents in the universe related to tea, kind of figured out how to write one and like the format of it and took time to just write my own and, you know, come up with these like really cheesy graphics when you look in hindsight of how the, the process worked, the flow worked and had him read it. And then I submitted it that way. So I don't think I knew entirely what I was doing. I just was just following this, this path of like, okay, I figured out this process. You know, this is how I make tea drops at the end. It's, it's, it's grinding tea. It's this pressure compression process. But I didn't know that was something that necessarily was protectable. So it took, it took like a couple, you know, people to, to, to tell me that, hey, this is actually something, you're onto something. And then take, you know, follow the path to actually protect it. So that was kind of the journey on the product formulation and patent part. And then, you know, trying to make this at scale was a whole other challenge because it is quite, it's not like a super labor intensive process, but you know, you have to, in order to do this at scale, it takes time to figure out. And I was just doing this in my kitchen. So when I moved it towards, you know, producing this in a commercial kitchen at scale, and then moving this to a home manufacturing and doing this at scale, there's, there's different hurdles at each point. Who was advising you during these, this first year? That's another thing. It's like, I don't think I really had a real network of advisors because all my contacts were in, you know, tech or market research. I, I didn't know anyone in food CPG. I, I didn't know anyone. So I was just figuring this out for a lot of it just on my own. And so, you know, in hindsight, that was just a very lonely path. And there's probably a way more efficient way I could have been approaching this. But I think at the time, I just didn't know, you know, what to do. So I just was researching a lot online. I know you entered a few contests. Did you win those grants before you formally raised money? Or that was that? Or was that after? A lot of it was before, in fact, because I it was hard for me to learn how to raise money, you know, like I just didn't understand. I didn't even know what an angel investor was, I think, when I first started. So I read this book called Venture Deals by Brad Feld, I think is his name, and learned all, what different financing instruments are, etc. And then went on the path of trying to raise, but like not very successfully at first, just because I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't really know how it worked. So to get exposure, and also I needed to have some you know, capital for the business, I just started looking into around 2017, I moved to LA, and I wanted to tap into an LA entrepreneurship network. So I started researching on Facebook and saw, you know, there was this group called the Women Founders Network, I went to an event, and it looked like they were having a pitch competition later that fall. So I just looked at the requirements and said, Hey, I think I could, I think I meet, you know, majority of these requirements and just entered. And that was kind of the start of really realizing that, you know, these pitch competitions are amazing ways to not only meet other amazing female entrepreneurs that you can learn from, but really talk about your business and get into the nitty gritty and be confronted with, you know, hard questions and essentially use that skill set to, to create your eventual fundraising deck. And going through that process was tremendously helpful because, you know, we ended up winning the first prize on the Women Founders Network, which was $20,000. But it also exposed me to a lot of angel investors who at the end of the night came up and said, hey, whenever you're ready to raise money, I'd love to chat with you about investing. And so then I just realized, whoa, these types of competitions are a great way to just socialize and get exposure for my business. So I just started seeing 
are there others out there? And I learned about the Tory Birch Foundation grant, you know, which was kind of the next big one I entered for 100K. And we ended up winning that one first place. And, and then, you know, people on that on that panel who were judging it actually ended up investing in T-Drops. And so honestly, it was a great way for someone who doesn't have a network in uh, with VEs or knows investors. It's a great way just to organically meet investors, get exposure for your business, and eventually use it as a platform to raise money. I think people want a more clear direction on when to take that leap, you know, and it's just hard to give anyone direct advice there because everyone's circumstances. Right, right. That is great advice. Coming up, you'll hear how Sashi realized it was time to start seeking outside investment and how T-Drops sets itself apart from other tea brands on the market. Hi, entrepreneurs! You know I am always here to provide you with as much value as possible. So I wanted to be sure that you have access to the Entrepreneurista Agenda, our weekly newsletter where we share the latest business news, success stories, grant opportunities, as well as all of our favorite resources and special offers for founders just like you. You can sign up to join our weekly newsletter and join over 50,000 other entrepreneurs over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash newsletter. That's entrepreneurs.com slash newsletter to subscribe to the Entrepreneurs Agenda. So you're winning all of these pitch competitions. At what point did you decide, okay, I'm ready to really go and and raise money? And how did you decide how much you needed? I think that was hard. That was hard. I think in the process of doing the pitch competitions, I also was figuring out, you know, how much do we really need to get to the next phase? I knew that I was running on all cylinders and really fatigued, you know, doing operations, doing marketing doing everything. And I just had more junior interns helping with manufacturing or fulfillment. I just felt this incredible weight of responsibility and also just fatigue. So I knew that wasn't sustainable, you know, for the long term. So I knew that I, I kind of assessed and I had I had an advisor at the time kind of, you know, encouraged me to think about what are the things that you love doing? What are the things that that kind of suck your energy? You know, I think that there's there's things, especially in, in your corporate job or like you enjoy doing and then things that kind of zap your energy. It's kind of true for entrepreneurship. You know, you should really be focusing on the things that, that, that keep that passion and flame alive. And so out of all things, I'm like, well, I'm not good at operations, nor do I like doing it. So that's the first major hire that I want to make. I think the other misconception you hear when you're starting a business is you should only hire A players, only hire A players, find A players and that's the best way to start a business. And I think that is great in concept, but in the reality, when you don't have any funding and you are bootstrapping this and you're doing this solo, you don't have any connections in the industry, that is, that's like an impossible order, you know? So I think that for me, it was important to, to, and in hindsight, you know, I think it's okay that you're going to go through a phase where you have what I call band-aid solutions, that you know that there are people who are part of the start that, you know, have amazing skill sets and can contribute up to a certain point. And then you have to realize that their skill set might not carry through through the next phase of your business. And that's okay, because your journey wouldn't be the same without their participation up to that point. And so if you can, you know, get comfortable with that, you realize that yes, the concept of only hiring a players is great in theory, but it's not a practical piece of advice. So 
I say, you know, however you, whatever you got to do to piecemeal to get you to a point. And then it was realizing, okay, you know, operations is taxing. I can't, you know, it grew the business to, uh, you know, a certain point where we had significant revenue. So I could say, you know, I think now's the time to raise money. I'm going to need X amount to get us to this next milestone, you know, revenue milestone. And here's what I need, you know, I'm, and, and just assessed like, okay, operations is an area I want to hire someone in. I also want to make hires in, you know, marketing and whatever the, the other, the other goal was. So that guided how much I thought I needed to initially raise, which the other thing is, you know, you probably need more money than you initially, initially think you need. So that was also, you know, a learning, a learning lesson. So at that point, I knew that I wanted to hire a COO to help. And I also got comfortable with the idea of people giving me money, you know, giving money as an investment and realizing that, you know, I also had to personally get comfortable with the idea of taking someone's money and having a plan of what to do for it. Cause it was a concept. I wasn't, I just, you know, not having any experience doing that. It was really, it was really um, hard for me to take, you know, friends and family's money or money. If I didn't really feel confident that I knew what to do with it and that I could produce a return. So that period of time was, I feel like the, the hardest, you know, initially as an entrepreneur, when you're figuring out if you, how you want to finance the business, because you have all these different worries, you have worries, cash flow worries about the business. You have just personal worries of taking, you know, taking on money from your friends and family or other investors. And then you also have that third worry of like, well, how do I even do this if I do want to embark on a fundraising journey? So I feel like that, that was definitely the most challenging time. But I think I just came to the, a breaking point in the business where I knew if I didn't raise money, I wasn't going to grow at the rate that I knew we could. And if I'm going to work the same with the same intensity, regardless of if I raise money or not, why not have a little bit more capital so that it can go, you know, I could, I could achieve things at a faster rate. How did you find your COO? Well, it was a combination of actually we, we knew each other just in the industry of like, she was a friend, but I actually didn't know she was in market for a role. So I actually officially connected with her through a recruiter, which was funny, but you know, she certainly has been instrumental in building the business and handling operations and has such a amazing experience doing that in her, in her previous life. She was co-founder with her wife of Cool House Ice Cream and built that, you know, so really knows operations on the food CPG side and brought that level of experience and just startup mentality to tea drops as well. So I feel very lucky. How big is your team now? So now we have about 12 full time. And we also have a lot of, I, I say, supporting actors too. you know, people who are consultants who help my personal kind of preference is keeping a small and nimble team and having a lot of support. So, you know, we out, we have our, our manufacturing partners, we have our fulfillment partners, we have fulfillment centers on the East Coast, West Coast, but the core team, I try to keep as, as lean as possible so that we have a closer connection. And how has your role evolved? I know you hired around what you wanted to do. So what do you spend most of your time doing now? Yeah, it's funny. It's a funny evolution because you know we're still early on in the journey I would say even now you know this has been five years I've been doing this but I I feel like really you know my goal now is is to support the team and ensure that they have the resources they have the support they need to do their job well and so I, I do spend a lot of time like 
planning with them, you know, checking in with them. And then also for me, you know, it's, it's really important. I stay connected to our, who our community is and engage with them and hear their feedback. And that, that to me has been a very critical part of what I do now, you know, just connecting with our community. And we have established Facebook groups where, you know, I'm actively on the boards, just hearing from them, getting their feedback on things. They actually are very critical to co-create with us, you know, future launches. So they actually, you know, our whole community co-created and co-launched our holiday blends this season with their input. And so to me, that's kind of where I spend my time is, is on the T-Drops community, whether those are employees or, or our customer base. That's really cool. Can you share how you built that, that community? Yeah. I mean, I always think this is one of the missing pieces for me as a tea drinker, you know, that I felt with all the brands that I, that I consumed, my relationship with most tea brands stopped at the grocery aisle, you know, the tea aisle in that I purchased their tea, I might like a flavor profile, come home and make it. But then I don't really know any anything more about the tea brand, you know, it's, it's it, and a lot of them were not really online. So it's not like you could have a community to go to. And I think tea drinkers, we, we love obviously the ritual of tea, but we love sharing that experience with others. And we love ancillary like self care topics that we want to just have someone to talk to about. And so I noticed this void and I always thought, you know, tea in Asian cultures is such a community centric activity. Why, you know, that, that is such an important piece of tea culture. I really wanted that to be part of the tea drops experience. And so I didn't know what that would look like, but I thought, I always thought like incorporating the feedback of our customer base, Russ, tea is an experience, you know, so having an experiential component to our tea offerings, you know, I think our tea and chat box is a great example where we bring self-care experts across wellness, mental health, finance to come in each month and give expert advice and start a conversation or a challenge around a topic. And then on our respective Facebook groups, you know, people are talking about that challenge or talking about topics that are, yes, it's not tea, but it's, but it's, but it's still around the, that realm of self-care and wellness. So Tea Drops is a self-care first experiential brand. And what that means is that, you know, and community is at the heart of it. So we try to pair, yes, tea offerings with a theme and an experience that is worth discussion. And I think that's what we've cultivated, especially during the pandemic. Yes, I wanted to ask you, how has your business impacted by everything going on this year? Yeah, I mean, at first, as I'm sure with a lot of businesses, it was super scary. In March, you know, I kind of remember the exact day, it was like March 13th, when I feel the whole nation kind of shut down. And I was, I think we were just in kind of, you know, it was a shock. So the first thing that we did was just really assess our our business expenses and everything that was unnecessary. And I made some, some pretty significant reductions, you know, even like the team, I had to kind of chat with the team about, you know, I think we have to be super careful. And I think in the spirit of trying to navigate and make it this year, we all have to have some salary reductions just temporarily to see what's going to happen. And so I made that call. We gave up our office, but there's a lot of things that happened from a business standpoint. But I think what, what, you know, has been very surprising is two things. One is, you know, people are are at home, they're consuming a lot more tea, 
we saw that pretty immediately where, you know, our the tea purchases and tea consumption just kind of skyrocketed those first few months, especially, you know, there's a lot of anxiety out there. And especially, you know, as tea drops is not just positioned as a product, but it is an experience. I think people were turning to us. So we feel really grateful about that. And I think that, you know, beyond be hitting hitting on on the increased tea consumption, we then noticed people are really looking for experiences during this time. You know, they can't go to their favorite coffee shop or, or tea shop or a boba shop. How can we bring that experience to them in the comfort of their own home? And so we started researching, you know, what are people craving and looking for? And one of the things that started rising to the top was boba tea and boba drinks. And so I actually didn't know much about boba drinks, but I started researching it and we saw this trend of people asking for it. So we quickly, you know, with the sermon, we had created a, a boba DIY experience box. And that was honestly one of our hero products coming out of the pandemic. It just skyrocketed. People really resonated with it. And we saw this huge wave and trend around people craving experiences, you know, that you can't just be a food CPG product, you really have to offer an experiential aspect to it. And that's something we're very equipped to do. And just naturally, what our brand represents, um, we were able to respond pretty, pretty, pretty quick to that, to that desire. What is the process like internally? Are you in a brainstorm with your team coming up with new ideas? How do you come up with new product launches? And how often are you launching new products? Yeah, typically, I mean, we have kind of set set product launches lined up for the year. We usually do it, you know, we usually have that lined up for the following year by the end of, of the previous year. I think this year was so unusual and a lot of businesses just had to pivot to kind of figure out what does this new world look like that for us, you know, we had our planned product launches for the rest of the year, but I also wanted to meet the customer where they were. So that's when we were in a brainstorming meeting in a sense that we have this 10 a.m. every day where our team hops on, on a Zoom call and we all connect and we, t- and we share the three things that we're working on that, that day. And one of those days I was just saying, you know, I'm trying to research what, what is going on in this environment. And I'm seeing a huge surge of people searching for, you know, milk tea and boba, boba tea on, on Google and on Amazon. What do you guys think? And that's when, honestly, collectively, the team came up with this Boba Box experience and and some other experiences that we subsequently have launched. So it really is a collaborative process informed by, obviously, insights and customer feedback. Looking back on this crazy year of 2020, what would you say has been your biggest learning lesson, personally or professionally? I mean, personally, I was just sharing this with my team the other day. You know, I've been given the gift of time back. I think we, we think that there are certain obligations that we have to do, whether it's traveling here or there for a conference or physically being somewhere, being in traffic and in in commute that has totally been, you know, been questioned. And I think that we sometimes get in a a routine and there are false expectations we place on ourselves of having to be a certain place or, or, you know, spend time doing X, Y, Z. And so for me, it's really recognizing, you know, sure, there are things that when we resume and go back to normal, you know, I'll have a lot less time I will need to do. But I also think that it's been amazing to me what I've been able to accomplish remotely with the team. It's been amazing to have the gift of time back and not be commuting and really be able to, sure, I can't spend it with my parents who are elderly who might be, you know, compromised in terms of health, but 
but I have a deeper connection, I think, to certain friends and family members coming out of this. So, so I really have appreciated the gift of time. And from a business standpoint, I think just realizing, you, you know, we are agile as, as human beings, we have the ability to pivot and it doesn't always need to be in this constant state of chaos. You know, I think that, you know, it's, it's certainly tested me as a leader to not just give into fear and just also realize there's a bigger picture here. We've all been given the gift of time. There's actually been a lot of great things that have come out of this experience for the team at large and personally. So I think we have to be grateful for, for the things that we do have and also realize like we have the ability to pivot and to shift and change and listen to customer insights and, you know, redesign what we think tea drops can be and what it can mean in, in, for our customer base. So it's been overall a great, a good thing. Up next, Sashi's best remote working tips and how 2020 has motivated her to make a big lifestyle change. Hey, entrepreneurs, Stephanie here. Dressing up while working from home has truly been a challenge, but guess what? I found a solution founded by a fellow entrepreneurista. It's Armoire. You can rent stylish clothes weekly or monthly right from the app. You'll spend less time shopping and you can get up to 50% off of your first month plus two bonus items. Just use the code entrepreneurista at checkout or visit armoire.style forward slash entrepreneurista to claim your offer. Look and feel your best with Armoire. I know I do. That's armoire.style forward slash entrepreneurista. Like a lot of business owners right now, we're very fortunate that we are able to operate remote businesses. Can you share with me some of your remote working tips and how you're keeping the team together and collaborating during this time? Mm -hmm. Frankly, I'm still figuring it out. I think that's been the hardest part is that there's so much organic collaboration that happens when you're in the office just every day, right? And so we're really missing just that organic connection. What we've tried to do is implement a daily touch point for the team. So every day at 10 a.m., we have our, our stand-up where we all share the three priorities that we're working on. And it's also a chance for us to just cross-check and you know quickly collaborate on things. Like if we are noticing, hey, there's been an increase in customer feedback on XYZ, it's a chance for us to address it. So I think having that daily touch point has been really meaningful and we keep a Tuesday open for our more deep dive into the business or team meeting, which is about an hour long. And what's great is everyone, you know, we're really clear on goals because we have KPIs for the year and every department and every team member has them. So just very transparently reporting on them on on that Tuesday and helping people work through various issues that they might be experiencing. If there's like a, you know, a, a point of hardship or frustration on something, at least there's, there's, you know, a forum for people to discuss it, and we can all collaborate and address it together. We were already set up very well to be remote in the sense that we had, you know, Slack, we've been using Slack for, for a long time now. And we Slack our fulfillment centers are on there, all of our consultants and all of the, the team members. And so I feel that's been an incredible tool for immediate response. And then we've set up protocols for different types of communication. So if you need an immediate response, Slack is a way to go. And, you know, the expectation is that you get an immediate response there. 
if there is something where you need to cross connect with different teams on, you know, Slack might not be the best way. If you need to really document the communication, email might be better. And then we have certain other criteria of when meetings will be set up, you know, so, so that there's like a respect of people's time, you know, I, I don't want everyone's time to be in meetings and all respect for how people want to be, you know, communicated with too. So we've tried to implement those shifts and changes. And I also think there's been a little bit of grace this year, at least for me, you know, it's been a recognition that we're not machines. You know, this has been very taxing from a emotional and mental standpoint for a lot of people. And it's not just this like massive, you know, just it's one of those feelings and I don't know, you know, how you guys feel about it, but it's like a low grade anxiety, right? Of uncertainty of what's happening, feeling that social isolation from your your friends and family. And so for me, it's been recognizing that, you know, in myself, but also saying like, well, that's probably how everyone on the team is feeling. And especially we have, you know, a lot of moms on the team. I have one, you know, employee who has two six-year-old twins at home, trying to, you know, school remote learning and, and school them while performing a very, you know, it's a very demanding role. And so I, I think that there has to be a level of grace and understanding about that. So I've tried, you know, to the best of our ability, obviously, we're a startup, and there's a lot of demands on us. But I think just realizing that people are probably not working at 100% capacity. And so you, you kind of have to give a little bit of grace there. What are your, some of your self-care tips? I think for myself, it's just like, I, I really appreciate like, so I guess solitude is the word or ability to sit back and reflect on something, especially at night, just having a cup of tea and just either zoning out or reflecting on, on the day. And that's a, that's a great luxury, right. To have that or go and have a walk in nature. And now, you know, because I do miss some social interaction, it's been setting up Zoom calls or like Zoom tea and chats with friends. And, you know, I had a, a friend send me like a, a box of tea to kind of like an advent calendar for, you know, 12 days or for 24 days of Christmas. And every day we like connect on the tea that we mutually, you know, tried and shared together. So I feel like these little tea dates or, or points of connection with friends and incorporating that, but as well as for me having more time and solitude, just reflection is very meaningful very meaningful for me. I have to ask, how much tea do you drink on a typical day? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of insane. It'll be like three to four cups, maybe more sometimes, because it's just like, for me, tea is like water. So I'm just consuming it throughout the day as an alternative to water. I haven't tried tea drops yet, but I am definitely going to. Oh my God. We, yeah, we have to get some in your hands. Yes, please. So, yes, we'll totally do What that. flavors do you recommend? What's your favorite? Oh, my, my favorite right now is our pumpkin spice is just like so on point. Like I just feel we captured everything about fall and the season and put it into a tea drop. So that's currently one of my personal favorites. I love adding a dash of cream to it. I think glow, which is a cinnamon hibiscus tart cherry blend is also very, very good and seasonally appropriate. But my tried and true is our chai spice. It's the first tea drop I came up with, you know, many years ago. And I love the kind of notes of masala spices, Indian spices that are infused in it. So 
those would be my top picks. Yeah, they all sound delicious. So it's definitely going to be <laughs> something that I do within the next week. <laughs> I'm sold. Looking back at everything that you've learned so far in running this business, is there a moment in time that you can remember where you were like, oh my God, this is too hard and just second guessing your decision? Yeah, I mean... I think all the time, you know, especially in the beginning. And it's not just like, I I think I've always had a, I think that's one thing that, that, you know, I don't know a lot from a business standpoint or, or like at least when I initially started or an industry standpoint, but I just had grit, you know, I just kind of just kept going. Even if I didn't know the answer, I would ask someone, I would just research it, I would try. And so I think that was very helpful for me. But I think there's been moments when you just feel so defeated, you know, you feel like operationally, things are awry and not going well, you feel, you know, you don't necessarily, especially in the early days, like have a team you can rely on, you don't, you're, you're constantly worrying about cash flow issues. And so I would just say, you know, for people who are in that phase, I know it's, it's, it can be really debilitating at times, but just to hang on, you know, just to hang on because it's, it, there is a solution out there if you just keep going. Is there a mantra that you tell yourselves, yourself in these tough times that keep you motivated and going? Yeah, it's, it's a quote, one of my favorite quotes by Rumi, who's a poet, ancient poet, is as you walk, the way appears. And it's been a very helpful mantra and a very true mantra that I've experienced where, like I said, you may not know all the answers, you may not know who to talk to, where to turn, but if you just keep going slowly, that path will be revealed to you. And uh, that's certainly been the true, been true for, for myself. I love that. I think that's true for everyone this year. You just got to yeah. put one foot in front of the other and, and keep going and things that aren't clear become clear. So I can absolutely relate to that. Can you share a mistake, one of your biggest mistakes and what you learned from it? Yeah. I mean, one big thing that, you know, I think if you create a food product, you think, oh, if I just get into Whole Foods or a big retailer, right, it takes off, you know, just goes on fire and my job's done. You know, that's it. And I think that's, you know, from now in hindsight, it's a very naive perspective. And so much of my early days was trying to get into grocery stores, you know, trying to get into the Whole Foods of the world, trying to get on shelf. And frankly, we weren't ready then because we didn't have enough a customer feedback. It's also very expensive once you learn more about the the grocery retail business. It's a very expensive channel. So if you are an emerging brand just starting out and wanting to make immediate impact, that's a very hard and expensive proposition. And I spent a lot of my resources, both time and money, trying to pursue this path because that was the normal expected path that everyone had talked about, that that's what you want to do next for your business. Even I had advisors saying this, and it really took me just listening to my own gut. Like, that's not the way for us. We have a lot better shot at creating that direct one-on-one customer relationship if we move this online and be a direct-to-consumer first brand. And that's not to say grocery retail is not an important aspect to our business and will continue to be. But it's saying that, you know, if you have limited time and resources and you have an instinct on what should be done, it's really easy to get caught up in 
advice or voices of, of where you should be, where your product might fit. But you have to be, at the end of the day, right, true to what you know about your brand, your product, and who your customer is. And I wish I would have paid attention to that a little bit earlier. You know, it was still early in our journey, so we were able to course correct. But I spent a lot of time and resources spinning my wheels on a channel that just didn't make sense for us at the time. Thank you for sharing that. I think trusting mm-hmm. your gut is definitely a common thing that I hear when I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. What would be something that our audience would be surprised to learn about you? Well, recently I downsized my life pretty considerably. So I live in about 250 square feet of space, which probably in like New York, that's like, that's normal. But here in California, you know, I was, I just moved from, uh, basically I think the, the pandemic gave you license to kind of redesign what, what you want your life to look like, you know? And that's certainly been the case for me. You know, I, ha- I was living in part of Los Angeles, I had a two bedroom place and I moved to a beach town in Southern California instead and about two hours away south of Los Angeles. And I wanted a different lifestyle. But part of that is I, you know, found this really awesome studio that but it was 250 square feet. And I was like, can I, can I actually reduce my, you know, lifestyle and belongings to that? And it's been an amazing and very freeing experience. And it's just, it's just like incredible how much you don't need in your life. So that was like a big change for me. And a lot of people don't know that. That's so interesting. What did you get rid of that may have been something that you thought you really, really needed? Oh my God, everything. <laughs> I think, I mean, I got rid of my bed because I had to get a smaller bed here. I think it's just all of like the accumulation of documents, you know, we have in our life. And, and this is still a struggle for me. I'm like, what do I keep for the long haul? What do what can I throw away? And we have files and files. I don't know, maybe not everyone, but like for me, I have files and files of stuff just from like, you know, my adulthood, basically in the past like 10 or plus years of just sitting there and I hadn't really addressed it in a long time. And I still struggle. I also think it's like an amazing business idea to help people just organize their personal life in this way. But I threw away so much like unnecessary paper and documentation. I hope I never need it in the future. I'm still like, (laughs) oh, should I have gotten rid of it? But I think it's just amazing as humans, like what we accumulate, even if we think like, even in my last place, I was like, oh, I'm pretty minimal. I'm not going to have a lot of stuff to move. And towards the last weeks, I'm just like fiercely throwing stuff away or (laughs) or trying to sell it. And it's it's pretty incredible how much we accumulate. That is so interesting. And, And funny that you say that because lately I've just been having this desire to just get rid of everything because I found like you this year, I, there's a lot that I have that I just don't need. Yeah. Yeah. A constant editing. That's the other thing. Yes. Like clothes, clothing, like things like I was like, oh, that's such a awesome, beautiful dress, you know, I, ha- I own or have. And also you're like, well, when am I going to wear that in this environment? So I've been giving up a lot of, a lot of clothing. What are you grateful for every day? I think I don't know. I just think like I, I obviously I'm, I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful to have a supportive family and kind of enriched friendships. I think I also am very grateful to have, you know, the, the will to like keep going. You know, I think that especially in this environment, you can, it can be very taxing and it can feel very, you know, stressful every day. But there's still this this inner fire in me to like keep going. And I love what I work on. Like I truly love Q-Drops. I love our community. I love, you know, the mission that we're on. 
And it's still exciting to me even after five years later. So I'm grateful that I still have that drive. I'm grateful that I have the health and means to pursue that goal. And I have friendships and a team and people around me who support that mission. If you could give the entrepreneurista one last business tip, what would it be? Just keep going. I really believe, I'm a huge believer in, in persistence. And lastly, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? It's three parts. I would say one part grit, one part glam, <laughs> and I guess grit and persistence are the same thing, but I was just going to say like grit, glam, and persistence is really what I think of when I think of an entrepreneurista. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was such a really great conversation and I love getting to know you better. Where can everyone find and follow you? So for me personally, I'm usually most active on Instagram and Twitter and it's at Sashi Chandran. If you want to follow Tea Drops, our handle is at my tea Drop, and our website is myteadrop.com. And we also have a special code for entrepreneurista. So it's 20% off with the code entrepreneurista20 at checkout. Well, thank you so much. I'm definitely going to use that code. I'm Courtney, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneistas. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneistapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entrepreneurs League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Corral, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneurista, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneurs League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week. That's entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey.